0: Seven blessings on you, and welcome back to the Waiting for Winter podcast. I'm your host, Fraser of House Robinson, joined by my co-host, Kira of House Oldfield. Hello! <laughs> Hello. We are very pleased to announce, actually, that uh, as, of, as of now, the show is available on both YouTube and iTunes, so if that's your preferred method of uh, listening to podcasts, that's where you can get it now. You can find links to both uh, storefronts. On our Facebook page and on our Twitter. Wonderful. Yeah, it's an exciting development. I'm very, I'm very keen about that. So that's that's some good news. Also, I have an apology to make based on last episode. We accidentally skipped a scene. I don't know if oh, uh, yes. if you if you realize this, Kira. There's a scene in episode one that we skipped over where uh, Ned is sitting in the Godswood and Kat yep. comes with the news that John Aaron has died. So yes. apologies we did. We did to our that. listeners. <laughs> apologies to our listeners for for that for that little mistake, although I don't think anybody really noticed because we got zero feedback about it. So uh, yeah. <laughs> then again, how many people actually listened to the first podcast? Um. Well the the SoundCloud the SoundCloud has twelve plays at this point. So exciting! <laughs> somebody must be out there. Anyway, without any further ado, let us now start. Our next set of recaps, beginning with season. I just about did it again. Episode three <laughs> of season one, entitled "Lord Snow." I Lord almost Snow. did it.
1: You almost did it.
0: <laughs> what, listen, what listeners probably don't know is that we, we we had a first a first shot at recording this, where I accidentally said episode one of season three so I'm, I'm glad that i avoided that particular pothole yeah. this time <laughs> it was actually it was the, actually the other way around as well you were like
1: it. season one episode no it was season three episode one
0: <laughs> anyway without wishing to make too much of that i'm just yeah glad i managed to avoid that this time yep so we start off our episode with kings in king's landing and the royal party which has travelled many long miles from Winterfell is arriving at the capital, and Ned, Ned, and his, his his retinue ride into the into the castle courtyard, and they're met by a messenger who wants to bring Ned to the small council meeting <laughs> that is currently in progress. And we have this absolutely brilliant moment of the messenger saying, "If perhaps you'd like to change into something," and Ned just gives him a look.
1: Just be like no.
0: Like I imagine <laughs> it's a look that. It, I imagine it's a look that Ned reserves for people who have said something just incredibly boneheaded. But it is, it just stops this guy right in his tracks. Yep, it's quite funny. Uh, Ned is taken through the throne room where he runs into Jamie Lannister, and they have a bit of a talk about the day that the Mad King murdered Ned's father and brother. And we have this, this moment of Jamie kind of trying to rationalise. His killing of the Mad King. Yeah. <laughs> he talks about how killing the Mad King felt like justice for for Ned's father and brother, but Ned isn't buying that—not for a second. No. He he he. I mean. He, yeah, he says to he says, "Well, yes, you, you, you served him when serving was safe," and it's 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 a sort of another moment of tension between uh, Ned and Jamie.
1: And it's just, it's an interesting idea about like he was sworn to that king, and yes that king was insane but you were sworn to that king so Mm. how does that work yeah there's a a
0: later scene there's a scene in season three i think where um jamie goes through a similar conversation with cat yeah like you know honor the king and protect the king obey the king obey your father but what if your father hates the king what if the king commands you to kill your father things like that so yeah I think it's one of the dimensions of Jamie's character that I, I especially like this sort of idea of him being torn between conflicting oaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ned is taken to the small council chamber where we meet Varys, Renly, Grand Maester Pycelle, and Littlefinger for the first time, mm-hmm. and they have a bit of a they have a bit of you know idle chit chat before the meeting starts properly, and we get a little bit of uh, a little tantalising hint. Of Littlefinger's supposed history with the Stark family, <laughs> namely Ned's brother Brandon and Ned's wife. Yeah. Specifically in the form of an of a duel that a duel that that Littlefinger fought Brandon before before Kat was supposed to marry him because Littlefinger wanted to marry her.
1: Yeah, he still has a total crush on her. It's so obvious. Mm, definitely.
0: <laughs> it's um. It's almost kind of that sort of. F- i guess subversion of the fairy tale narrative that that uh, yeah. George r. r martin likes to do so often where like the sort of the smaller weaker uh protagonist fights the big tough guy for the girl and he wins but in this case little finger undeniably lost
1: oh yeah there's no underdog character here <laughs>
0: Mm. So, the meeting progresses, and Littlefinger, while they're discussing the organisation of a tournament to celebrate Ned's appointment as Hand of the King, Littlefinger reveals that the crown is horrendously in debt.
1: Six million! Six million! Mm. In debt. That's a lot.
0: Six million gold dragons. I might be misremembering this, but I think I, I found an app once that converted fantasy currency into real currency, and I think the... The average gold dragon is about was about a hundred US dollars at the time. Which I might be misremembering, but it was That's it's a not that's insignificant a lot. amount of money. That's a lot. Mm. So yeah, they re- they reveal that the crown is horrendously in debt, about half of which is owed to Tywin Lannister, some three million dragons. And Neta's is, Net is getting a bit shirty because he's 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 confused as to how Robert and John Arryn could have just mismanaged the crown finances so badly. Yeah. And of course, we we don't really find this out in the show, but in the books it's very strongly alluded to that Littlefinger has just been aggressively embezzling from the crown Oh yeah. during his time as Master of
1: Coin. <laughs> I like that I like that phrase aggressively embezzling.
0: So most of the debt is apparently is apparently money that Littlefinger has borrowed in order to line his own pockets with. So, you know, that's fun. In the royal chambers, Cersei is dressing Joffrey's wounds from the from the encounter with the direwolves at Darry. Well, direwolf singular, rather. Yep. And they have they have a chat about the incident and how to best handle the Starks. And Joffrey sort of shows his uh, his inexperience by talking about how he would uh, raise an army and take Winterfell and install someone loyal to <laughs> rule over the North. Which yeah, Cersei just just slaps him right down with that. Like she is, she is completely unambiguous about the fact that that is a stupid plan. Yeah, and it is a stupid plan.
1: It's definitely a stupid plan. You need to be smarter than that.
0: Mm. We get a we get a very a very a very cool line out of this scene where Cersei says the North can can't be ruled, not by an outsider. It's too big and too wild,
2: mm. which
0: is something I thought about. I think in season six, where Cersei sends Littlefinger to to take Winterfell back from the uh, the rebellious, yeah, rebellious Jon Snow. So uh, it's a, it's a it's an interesting sentiment that she seems to stand by in later seasons. In Ned's chambers in the castle, the the Stark sisters are bickering about what happened at Derry and Arya expresses her desire to murder Joffrey, which is you know a healthy thing for a young girl to want to do. And I'm reminded of, 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 a, of a bit in the books where this well this scene happens, and Joffrey uh, not Joffrey Sansa is talking about how great it will be to be married to Joffrey and how everything will be lovely, and um, how Arya will have to call her Your Grace, <laughs> causing Arya to just throw an orange straight at Sansa <laughs> with something along the lines of Well, here's your breakfast, Your Grace, yeah, mm-hmm. and just poof, with the orange, which is just like a like a fun sort of sibling. Sibling rivalry scene,
1: yeah, I, I thought it was nice I was um reminded that in the in the show, this was the first scene bet- that um Sophie Turner did, and she was mm-hmm. and and um Maisie stabbed the table so hard that she left the dent and they had to like reposition the shot to make sure that the <laughs> dent wasn't still in the table and they couldn't see it
0: <laughs> Maisie Williams with the uh with the method acting um, method
1: acting yeah <laughs>
0: Arya goes storming out of the room and ned comes in tries to break up the tension and he presents sansa with a doll that was made by the same toy maker that makes marcella's toys and uh, sansa is not impressed by this being <laughs> as she says too old for dolls yeah which i think ned is ned is a bit sort of put out by and he has this, has this line in that scene, war was easier than daughters, which, it's, a bit, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting line. But,
1: uh, war is straightforward. One that I imagine hit... he
0: feels quite deeply, given what's just happened.
1: Yeah, you hit the people in the head, and they die, or they don't die, and if they don't die, you hit them in the head again. Whereas this is, requires more subtlety, I
0: feel. <laughs> I think I've read that in a book, yeah. So, in, in Arya's bedroom, Ned finds Arya playing with Needle. Mm-hmm. which uh he, he didn't realize she had up until this point and realizes that it was made by the uh blacksmith at Winterfell. Yep. And Arya expresses her anger at at Cersei and Joffrey and the Hound and and Sansa and Ned has this sort of moment of of like fatherly uh fatherly dotage where he talks about how how Arya and Sansa have to sort of look out for each other while they're in King's Landing cuz there there's a lot of a lot of potential dangers around and and how really the whole family needs to be on the lookout for for things like that, and you know it's 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 a it's a very sort of gloomy scene, but at the same time it's kind of kind of sweet, like the way Ned is mm. is is kind of being a being a dad,
1: definitely the supportive father figure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> to lighten up the tone a wee bit, uh, Ned gives allusions to the fact that he might get Arya sword fighting lessons so that she 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 can properly learn how to Hype. how to use his mm-hmm. sword. We cut to Winterfell now and uh old nan is trying to entertain the still bedridden bran with with various stories and Mm -hmm. bran sort of expresses a desire to hear more of the scary stories and uh old nan says i think what might be one of the most iconic lines in the entire show oh my sweet summer child what's a you know about fear (laughs) which is quite a strong motif throughout the series i think this idea that people who are born and raised in, in the in the in a sort of less harsh conditions would just be completely unprepared for 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 what is to come Mm. it's something that cat herself i think expresses in season two when talking about the the army of renly baratheon and it's yeah something that crops up quite a lot so rob comes into the room and he and bran talk about bran's injury and at this point bran expresses a, a feeling that he would rather be dead than crippled which naturally rob reacts rather rather alarmed alarmed to that
1: Yeah, it's quite a big thing for a small child to say that he would rather be dead
0: yeah it's yeah it's a it's a it's a natural reaction from rob definitely mm. and so they, they they and of course i think bran is also a little bit upset that uh, that his mother had to leave which is something i think that gets expressed And um, i think in the next episode, I think there's a there's a bit where Bran talks about how he's sad that his mother has gone away. But, um, yeah, it's something that comes up quite a bit. Yeah. So we cut to King's Landing and Cat and Sir Roderick Cassel are arriving in the city. Despite trying to be incognito, they are immediately intercepted by two city watchmen who address Cat by name. So, yeah, the, 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 the incognito thing... Goes right out the window.
1: Yeah, nobody nobody walks into a city with a scarf around the head in the middle of summer unless they're trying not mm. to be noticed, and in which case makes them mm. noticeable.
0: It's like you see someone on the street wearing like a large trench coat and dark glasses, and you you immediately re- <laughs> think that that person yeah. that person's up to no good. So the watchmen take Kat and Roderick to Littlefinger. To, or more accurately to one of the brothels that he owns <laughs> in the city yep. and you know cat is rather angry about being dragged to a brothel yep. as you might imagine and I, th- I think the phrase she she uses exactly is um treating me like some sort of back alley sally which is
1: very <laughs> <a> modern phrase <laughs> mm,
0: as like a way to describe a to describe a prostitute I might, yep. I might, I might see how 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 one reacts to that if I if I just ever happen to meet one. I'd be like, how would you feel about being called a back alley Sally? It sounds like a Little Richard song. Actually, I think
1: their their level of or well, their sense of humour would be entirely dependent. <laughs>
0: mm, mm. So Littlefinger reveals that Varys knew that Cat was coming, and uh, and they they have a bit of a talk about why Cat is in the city and. Cat shows Varys and Littlefinger the dagger that was used to try and murder Bran. And Littlefinger reveals that it used to belong to him until he lost it on a bet to Tyrion. Which is not actually true. So Littlefinger once again...
1: Very much a lie.
0: Yep, showing himself to be completely and utterly untrustworthy. Um, I'd like to point out something at this moment. Aidan Gillen's accent is very English in these early seasons but in the later seasons uh, season 7 sort of yeah 6 and 7 especially he's quite pronounced in his Irish accent like he Mm. he puts the very strong sort of lilt on a lot of the words that he didn't use to and and, and then in in these early seasons his voice is quite sort of King's English which is yeah it's an interesting interesting disparity
1: yeah it's very clipped in the beginning Mm. and then it just He's I like think... chills out. Maybe that's because he's not trying to pretend anymore. Mm. He's just given up. <laughs> Although
0: I kind of think the sort of the clippedness suits the character of Littlefinger better. I might be just being a stick in the mud on that, but um, uh, incidentally, <laughs> Mister Gillen, if you are listening to the show, we'd we'd very much like to hear your uh, hear your explanation for this for this change in accent. And you can you can email us at uh, uh, waitingforwinterpodcast at gmail
1: Oh, we have an email address. I didn't know we had an email address.
0: Yeah, yeah, actually. We, we have an official podcast email address, and that was it. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us, that's the way to do it. Or on Facebook or Twitter. Awesome. So we cut to Castle Black, and uh, Tyrion and uh, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, Jor Mormont, are watching Sir Alice of Thorn train new recruits. Jor Mormont, interestingly enough, is the father of Jorah Mormont. Who has appeared mm. already in the books as a companion for Daenerys Targaryen? Yep. And so Sir so Alisa Thorne, the the sort of the head trainer of the Night's Watchers, is, is training the new recruits out in the courtyard, and Jon is displaying his clear superiority in the arena, <laughs> as as, as uh, by virtue of having effect. had
1: some training. Yeah having had some
0: sword fighting training as opposed to having had none like most of the other night's watch recruits yep and uh this is this scene i think is actually where the 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 title of this episode comes from sir alice mockingly refers to john as lord snow meant to kind of Mm. call attention to the fact that he grew up a lot more comfortably than most people in westeros grow up so uh yeah. if not necessarily in a position of privilege but certainly much better circumstances than most of his new comrades while this is happening Commander Mormont shows Tyrion a letter from Winterfell which is addressed to Jon and presumably contains the news that Bran has woken up and when we cut to King's Landing yep. Grandmaster Maester Pycelle delivers Ned what is presumably the same message from Winterfell and when Pycelle leaves Littlefinger comes in and tells Ned that Cat is in the city so we 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 go now to this, Littlefinger and Ned going to the brothel where Cat is hiding, and naturally Ned gets a bit upset because he thinks the fact that Littlefinger has brought him to a brothel is some sort of joke. Yeah. Some sort of dispari- it disparaging. In family. Disparaging comment about against his wife, but uh, and then Cat's head actually pops up over a balcony. So.
1: Yeah. I kind of Hello.
0: feel like I kind of feel like this is the moment where Littlefinger like cements his plan to betray ned like i think maybe beforehand he was sort of on the fence about who to kind of who to kind of back in terms of the upcoming upcoming political struggle but at this moment he decides you know what fuck you stark you're dead now
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh so now back in castle black john's fellow recruits confront him in the armory about the uh the, the just the resounding beating that he gave them while they were training but uh, Tyrion intercedes and encourages Jon to be kinder to his new comrades. And, uh, and uh, at that point, Tyrion also shows Jon the letter from Winterfell that Bran has woken up. So it's another another nice little scene between Jon and Tyrion. So we, we cut back to King's Landing, and Littlefinger and Ned are discussing how to approach their investigation into all the things that are happening. Elsewhere in the Red Keep, Jamie visits Cersei in her room. And they talk about the fact that Bran is still alive and how to how to handle that, because by now news of yep. of the fact that Bran is still alive has presumably reached both their ears. The next morning, Ned and Kat part with a tender moment before the gates of the city. And I'd just like to remind <laughs> remind our listeners that this is the last time that Ned and Kat ever see each other. Just a just That's a friendly awful. reminder. Yeah. Just a friendly, Fr- friendly reminder. reminder.
1: <laughs> Everybody dies.
0: <laughs> mm. uh, elsewhere in the Red Keep, uh, Robert and the commander of the King's Guard, Sir Barristan Selmy, are swapping first kill stories, We're, with a little bit of with, a, with an element of sort of talking about the history of of the Baratheon rebellion thrown in there. Yep. <laughs> uh, Robert Robert Squire, Lancel Lannister, who is a cousin of, of of Queen Cersei, reveals that there's no wine left in the room. Which causes Robert to fly off the handle.
1: <laughs> I love that phrase, "fly off the handle." Yeah, it, it
2: just—it's
0: mm, mm. appropriate, I think. So Robert calls in Jamie, who is standing guard outside, and they—they they, Jamie joins the conversation about first kills. And Robert also asks Jamie about the Mad King, and and the the night that Jamie killed him. Which, you know, I think, I think this is like a conversation that they, you'd think that have at least have had before. Before
1: this, yeah. Before this yeah. point, at least I mean, once. It is exposition for the show, but
0: <laughs> mm. at least once in fifteen years, you'd 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 think that have had that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We cut now to the Dothraki Sea, and Danny and Jorah having a bit of a talk about about the way Doth- the dothraki treat their slaves danny orders the khalasar to stop for some i'm not mm. sure what her reason for ordering the khalasar to stop is
1: because she can
0: yeah it's like it's kind of a display of power like, <laughs> that's it i think it's because yep. it because it, it pisses viserys off to no end like he gets he gets angry to the point of uh, almost attacking danny and he has to be um has to be sort of physically restrained by one of drogo's blood riders which yeah i'm just i don't know it's an it's a it's a it's a moment of power of power grabbing from from danny which seems to come out of nowhere but i don't know maybe I'm i mean just...
1: i don't think it's power grabbing it's just more exhibiting
0: yeah being like yeah well... exhibiting is probably the better the better phrase
1: yeah it's just like oh yeah, i can't actually do this now. <laughs> mm.
0: And so Viserys orders Mormont to kill Rakaro the uh, the the Dothraki who restrained him, but Mormont refuses. And uh Viserys is not allowed to get back up on his horse, which is a, a, a an act of extreme shame for the Dothraki. Like if if you're not allowed to ride a horse, then you are you are a lesser class of person. If you if yeah. you can't ride a horse, so we cut back to Castle Black and John takes a trip to the top of the wall where he finds Benjen and Benjen tells John that he is going out ranging the next day and sort of, in a similar vein to Tyrion, tells John to be kinder to his comrades in the Night's Watch and uh, John asks to go with him but, yeah, John's not ready for that so Benjen just says no and this is another moment where the two people who say that they will Uh, speak next time they see each other never see each other again
1: never see each other Mm. again
0: (laughs) so down in the dining hall at Castle Black Yorin is telling Tyrion about the time that he ate a bear which is an interesting story to say the least (laughs) I think Yorin's in the middle of describing how best to fry up a bear's testicles so you know survival tips for those that need them, very much. Uh, Benjen comes in, and he and Tyrion have a bit of a, a bit of an argument about the importance of the Night's Watch and what's really going on north of the Wall. A little moment of conflict where Benjen reveals that he might have seen some of the some of the more mystical stuff that's going on out there, and that Tyrion should take this seriously. Yep. We cut to the Dothraki Sea. Danny's handmaids are teaching her to speak Dothraki. And Danny realizes that she is pregnant, or rather, one of the handmaids realizes that she is pregnant. Mm. And so, uh, mm. one of the very much, the,
1: a, very exciting.
0: Mm, one of the handmaids, Eri, uh, comes to comes to find Jorah and Ricaro, who are just in another tent, having a very detailed discussion about swords, like, they, like they, they're going over <laughs> sort of pros and cons of Westerosi-style long swords versus Dothraki araks, the curved swords that they use, and it's. It's actually quite interesting from a purely sort of engineering uh, standpoint. Yeah. And so, upon hearing the news that Danny is pregnant, Jorah suddenly decides to ride to Kahor, one of the uh, one of the free cities in Essos, which is, you know, a wee bit suspicious.
1: Do we ever find out why? I don't remember.
0: I think it's heavily implied that he went to inform Varys of of, of Danny's pregnancy because uh. it's. I think it's explicitly right. stated both in the show and the books that Jorah was Varys' source for of information for Danny. So yeah. yeah, I think that I think that comes up again if not in the next episode but in in, a, in, a, in an episode very soon coming up. So we cut back to Castle Black and Jon is trying to give his fellow recruits a lesson in sword <laughs> fighting. Sort of, sort of taking to heart both Tyrion and Benjamin's words about helping his brothers rather than just beating them Yeah. also in the dining hall Tyrion, Maester Aemon and Mormont are talking about the coming winter the reports of the others and the other magical, magical nonsense and the rather sorry state of the Night's Watch and both Mormont and Maester Aemon uh, implore Tyrion to ask Cersei to send them some support because they are they are in very dire need of it. And we... Well,
1: that is—they're pretty—they're in a pretty awful staffing situation mm. at the moment, with the, with the quality of recruits they're getting. Because they are supposed to be a military force, not yeah. a glorified prison.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's um, it's it's been largely. A lot more prisoners than volunteers in the last few years so yeah they're, they're having they're having tr- problems yeah. finding quality people and even even if it, even with the prisoners there's just aren't the numbers that they need so it's it's a dire situation definitely we cut to the dothraki sea danny tells Drogo that she's pregnant which is which is a nice a nice scene and then we cut back to castle black Tyrion and john meet at the top of the wall um, Tyrion says his goodbyes before he s- heads south again and John asks Tyrion to look in on Bran for him, and then yeah. f- mm-hmm. finally we cut back to King's Landing and Arya meets her quote dancing master, one former first sword of Braavos, Cilio, Syrio Forel.
1: Syrio, yeah, favorite character.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of, definitely one of the more uh, memorable side characters in the in the series, and so they they, they have a bit of a, a sparring session. And you can almost kind of you can almost kind of hear Eye of the Tiger playing as it as the footage of Sirio and Arya fighting sort of cuts to credits, <laughs> like it's almost sort of a, like a like the start of a training montage, except it's not. And then yeah, spoiler alert, roll credits, episodes over. <laughs> so yeah, another another good episode of kind of setting things up and um, and and getting threads going.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely well we've had we've had some character development, especially with um Targaryen help. Uh, Danny. Danny and um Drogo. That that relationship mm. has progressed very quickly. Which is good to see because it's now gone from being real creepy to not being very creepy, mm. so much more comfortable for everybody involved.
0: And I think in a nice in a nice little sort of parallel, John's kind of had a bit of development as well. Like he's Yeah he's he's had a bit of a reality check which is i think uh, i think is always always important for a character growth yeah now we uh, we move on to the next episode that we're covering today uh, episode 4 of season 1 Cripples, Bastards and Broken Things Very good name Yeah yeah we open on Winterfell and Bran has a dream about a crow with three eyes and the fir- the first time that we we see the uh, the mystical yeah. three eyed crow, who becomes very important to the the mystical, mystical no, aspect the fir- of the It's plot the first time we've actually on.
1: seen a magic thing. We've been hinting at magic things, mm. but it's the first time there's actually been a magical thing.
0: Yeah, this is this is an explicit an explicit yep. show of magic. So when Bran wakes up, Theon comes in to tell him that uh, there are guests arriving in the castle, and he summons Hodor to carry Bran. To the, to the Great Hall to meet them. And in the hall we see that the guests arriving are actually Tyrion and Yorin, fresh down mm-hmm. from the wall. And so Rob Rob welcomes Yorin fairly, fairly warmly because he's a man of the Night's Watch and the Starks have a, a sort of a special connection to the Night's Watch. But uh, he's less less welcoming towards Tyrion because, of course, he suspects that Tyrion might be one of the people who, who tried, to kill,
1: to kill Bran, tried to kill his yeah. brother
0: but when Bran actually comes in Tyrion shows Bran a design for a saddle which would allow him to ride even without the use of his legs so yeah Rob Rob, I think immediately feels a bit sort of
1: chagrined
0: yeah for actually for being behaving so aggressively toward Tyrion and sort of yeah relents a wee bit but Tyrion's like you know what I don't care I'm just going to go stay at the brothel outside the city outside the castle rather and we can all just be yep. a bit more chill.
1: I won't get into your space and then we won't get mad at each other.
0: Mm. Mhm. So, on his way back out of the castle, Theon uh, bumps into Tyrion, or rather Tyrion bumps into Theon, and they they exchange some tense words about why Theon is still at Winterfell and the the mm. whole issue of the Greyjoy rebellion in the, in that in that context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, we cut to Castle Black. And we meet Samuel Tali for the first time as he is introduced to the other new recruits, and naturally a lot of them are a bit sort of derisive about Sam because he's 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 very fat, <laughs> and um, John has to sort of intervene when Sir Alisa has another recruit try to beat Sam. Now, now we cut to Vais Dothrak uh, and Drogo's Kalasars arriving in the city, which is the the kind of the de facto capital of the Dothraki yeah. nation like in terms of like calling it a city it's it's really more of an of an of a of an oversized village according to descriptions from the books but a lot of the times it gets vastly expanded by the tents of Kalasars, and they're not allowed to fight each other while they're there and it's it's a whole a very a very sort of sacred yeah. place i feel, I feel well, like it's I more
1: think. the spiritual aspect is more important than their structures
0: hmm and there's a an, an entranceway into the city called the uh, I think the Avenue of Stolen Gods, yeah. which is uh, lined with statues of, of of gods that the Dothraki have taken from uh, people that they've conquered, which I think is it's just quite a cool world-building detail it in is. my mind. It's something I, something I think is, is rather cool. So the khalasar comes riding into Vaes Dothrak. Viserys is still bitter. And uh, he's especially bitter about what he sees as Drogo riding the wrong way, because Vaestothrak is quite far to the east, away from the uh, from the western coast and the Narrow Sea. So, Viserys feels like you know Drogo's going the wrong way. Yeah. And Danny and Jorah have a bit of a chat about Jorah's past and why he had to flee Westeros. That night in the in the in the city, uh, Viserys is entertaining quote uh Danny's handmaid Dorea and they they have a bit of a chat about the rise and fall of House Targaryen, yep, and you know the death of the dragons and the the death of Viserys' father, the Mad King, and I just wanted to this is me being nitpicky again. Um, Viserys mentions that his father, the Mad King, would have him recite the names of all the dragons because the Targaryens used to have the dragon skulls lining the throne room when they ruled when they ruled Westeros
2: Mm. and so
0: Viserys used to walk along the line of the skulls and recite the names for his father and a lot of the names he mentions are definitely not names that appear in the books (laughs) I don't I don't know why they would have changed
1: that I because they're not no you're right (laughs)
0: If you've read uh, The World of Ice and Fire, the, one of the companion uh, books for the series, there's a lot of information about the early Targaryens and their dragons in there. And yeah, none of the names that Viserys lists are names from that list. Yeah. So uh, I think it might be because a lot of the dragons have names that that don't sound mystical. Like <laughs> a lot of them have names like sun smoke and uh, glitter wing and sort of names like that it
1: seems it sounds and like I some 13 year old girl gave it to them
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and i think i imagine in order to sort of maintain the kind of gritty adult uh atmosphere of the series i think maybe maybe the creators of the show made the name sound a bit more kind of kind of fantasy-esque rather than rather than uh sort of mundane so perhaps might be it might be an aesthetic choice who knows so we cut to king's landing and sansa and septum Mordane are standing in the throne room discussing the future like uh what will happen once if sansa becomes, becomes queen, queen. <laughs> and um they have this moment where sansa talks about like well hypothetically what happens if i don't bear have joffrey a, any sons have, and he only has son, daughters
2: yeah.
0: mm. <laughs> and i'm curious this is something that i've asked some other people who who are well versed in the book series but i've never gotten a conclusive answer whether or not the targaryen succession principle applies to the new baratheon dynasty because the targaryens quite early on adopted a zero tolerance policy towards uh women inheriting the iron throne yeah so they they had sort of instances where they could have gone between between uh, a, a male inheritor and a female inheritor and they opted for the male inheritor almost every time and the one time that there was a queen a ruling queen w- ended up being a bit of a disaster so that there was a a very a very ironclad no female rulers policy and I'm, i wonder if it would apply to the baratheons
1: i mean it's never explicitly mentioned that it does but it's never explicitly no. mentioned that they would allow a female heir no.
0: either so but they say they say in the show that in this scene in particular that the throne would pass from joffrey to tommen if sansa were to only have daughters yeah so... which would
1: be my, my cell is in the middle there right
0: Mm. And it, yeah, it would skip over their sister Marcella. Yep. So it's... Yeah, it's an interesting sort of just, just question of 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 fact that I... If anybody has an answer, that email address, <laughs> uh, waitingforwinterpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com, please, please reach out to us if you have any insight into that. Definitely. At a small council meeting, uh, the commander of the City Watch, Janos Slint, is reporting on the upswing of violence in the city... Because of all the people that have been that have been coming for the for the tournament, and Ned offers to give give Janos uh, fifty of his own household guard to help pr- restore order.
2: Mm.
0: After the meeting ends, Ned questions Pycelle about John Arryn's death, sort of what happened to him, what Pycelle's opinion was as a quote unquote medical professional, and. Mm-hmm. Pycelle leads Ned back to his office where he shows Ned the book that um, John Arryn was very interested in shortly before he died which is a, a, a genealogy of the greater and lesser houses yep. and then elsewhere in the castle Ned comes on Arya who is practicing her balance by standing on one leg and they have a bit of a chat about Bran's future because of course Arya now knows that Bran is awake and about Arya's own future and they, there's this this moment where uh Arya asks if she will one day be able to do all the same things that Bran can do like you know rule a hold fast or or sit on the king's council. Yeah. And Ned says well you know because you're a girl you'll have to do, you'll you'll probably do all these other things that that girls traditionally do in Westerosi society and Arya says why? No, that's that's <laughs> not me. I don't want to do those things and it's yeah. I mean Ned's tre- clearly sort of trying to be a good dad, and and he's trying, and to, sort
2: of he's
0: trying to justify it as supportive it, as he can yeah.
1: be, justify it in a in a good way, but it's kind of
0: hard to mm, do. Mm. I think especially because Ned's own sister Liana was so much like Arya in that sense that she kind of rejected this notion of her mm. place as a as a woman in in Westerosi society, and I imagine it's probably a little bit hard for him seeing that that same thing. That same dichotomy play out in his door.
1: Yeah, and knowing what happened to her. <laughs> mm.
0: So we cut to Castle Black, and Sam joins John on the top of the wall, and Sam tells John that that he is only joining the Night's Watch because his father is forcing him to. Yep. His father, Randall Tarly, Lord Randall Tarly, has forced Sam to join the Night's Watch because he has a younger more uh, traditionally masculine son mm. who he reckons would be a better heir to his to his land and title and so sam tells this rather horrible story about how his father said that if he didn't join the night's watch then he would basically murder him and make it look like an accident so
1: yeah <laughs> organize a hunting party a hunting expedition
0: mm. <laughs> and somewhere in the woods you'll fall from your saddle and be left to die Mm. which is yeah it's it's pretty awful
1: yeah there's not much you can do about that
0: (laughs) the tension for this scene for me was a little bit undercut by john delivering this line you can't fight you can't see you're afraid of heights and everything else like was that meant to (laughs) rise It
1: it seems very strange that it does rhyme,
0: yeah. I have so many questions (laughs) about that line, and no answers. Yeah, so definitely not. We cut back, yeah. We cut back to King's Landing, and Ned and Littlefinger are having a chat about Ned's investigation, and Littlefinger. So they're they're wandering through like a like a sort of a, a courtyard of the castle at this point and Littlefinger points out the various spies that are eavesdropping on their conversation spies that belong in turn to Lord Varys Queen Cersei and himself yeah (laughs) and Littlefinger says to Ned that Jon Arryn would visit a particular smith in the city uh, a blacksmith and so Ned kind of has the next clue for his investigation yeah and I think I think this is the scene where Ned says uh, perhaps I was wrong to mistrust you to which Littlefinger replies mistrusting me was the smartest thing you did since you got off your horse
1: <laughs> yeah definitely which
0: yeah considering what happens later yeah um once again little nitpick there's a shot during their conversation where uh, Aiden Aidan Gillan's lips aren't moving or rather, Aidan Gillen's lips are moving, but Littlefinger isn't talking. Yeah, it's a, it's an over-the-shoulder shot of Ned, and you can see Aidan Gillen's mouth moving, like his chin is moving, but he's not talking. So it's, Oh uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> pointing out.
1: It's important.
0: Pointing out problems. Mm. So, at the site where they're going to have the tournament, out in out on the outskirts of the city, Jory Cassell has been sent to find john aaron's former squire sir hugh of the Vale, who and this is how i've written it verbatim in my notes is an insufferable little shit <laughs>
2: it's he a good way of putting it
0: yeah he basically tells jory to fuck off because he's not a knight i mean to be fair though jory's about as close to a knight as you can get when you're a northerner because the northerners don't do engage knights, in knighthood Do they? No, no, because the knighthood's a very um, southern thing because it involves a lot of swearing to the seven gods. But the, I think the Northerners sort of have the attitude of, can you sit on a horse and wear heavy armor and hold a lance when you ride into battle? Then that is your job. Like they don't, they don't really sort of call you a knight. Make a big, no, <laughs> make a big thing out of it. Uh, in the city, Ned and Jory ride down the Street of Steel in search of the of the of the blacksmith. Whose name doesn't get revealed in the book in the show, but in the books is called uh, Tobho Mott, yeah. and is uh, interestingly one of the few smiths in the world who can rework Valerian steel. So, uh, hang on to that little nugget of information yeah. <laughs> for later. Uh, Mott tells Ned that John Arryn came only to see his assistant, a, a rather fine young gentleman called Gendry, and so this is this is where we see Gendry for the first time and Ned sort of on inspection of Gendry very quickly deduces that Gendry is one of Robert's Bastards, bastard sons yeah.
2: mm.
0: and so back in the castle Jamie is standing guard outside Robert's bedroom while Robert uh, how do I put this delicately
1: <laughs>
0: entertains us some ladies
1: um, do they have vows in Westeros is that a thing
0: <laughs> uh, they do but people like Robert frequently violate yeah, them I was about to say, violating his vows I mean? yeah. <laughs> his marriage vows yeah. yeah, it's something that gets talked about quite a bit there's one particular moment during the scene where from inside you can hear Robert shout does it smell like blackberry jam which um, really, is a line that haunts me I
1: really don't want to know what that's about
0: Mm, I lie awake at night it's, and think about that. It's, it's probably and my conclusions just, are not pretty. Yeah, it's just
1: probably just going to be like a yeast infection waiting to happen, is that quote. Oh, but Jesus. It's just, it's just no.
0: <laughs> oh, Christ. If anybody listening... <laughs> if there's anybody still listening after that, I apologise most sincerely. So, yeah, Robert's, Robert's entertaining some company. Jewelry arrives to deliver a message to Robert but um you know Roberts otherwise engaged and Jamie doesn't want to be sort of the message holder so they they have a bit of a chat actually about the greyjoy rebellion because apparently both Jamie and Jory were on the field in the greyjoy rebellion yeah and so we cut to castle black john and his his new recruit friends pip and Gren have a bit of a chat about sam and sort of what to do about him because he's you know he's He's proved himself to be resoundingly sort of...
1: Unhelpful. Useless.
0: Mm. And that night, John and his friends threaten one of the other new recruits, a, a guy called Holder, who who has been sort of Alice, Sir Alice's chosen uh, whipping boy to, to, to beat up on Sam. Uh, they threaten him with, with, with harm if he doesn't lay off Sam, to the point that, that they have ghost, John's direwolf stand over him and mm. growl menacingly, and it's all very sort of very sort of conspiracy thriller esque. Yep. And but the next morning it apparently works because uh Halder and Gre- out and Green refuse to seriously attack Sam, which makes Sir Alistair rather angry. And he makes a point about how, well, if an actual battle comes, do you really want this guy next to you?
2: Yeah. I mean
1: he can. You can put him to work doing oh. something else.
0: <laughs> and yeah, they do. They do do that. So we cut yeah. to Vayus Dothrak, and Viserys is furious with Danny for a perceived slight, because like Danny had like had uh... a, a Dothraki style vest made for him, and he was like, "How dare you try to dress me like these savages?" And it's like, "Dude, just, just
2: chill, chill
0: out, for God's sake." And so when Viserys attacks Danny. For another kind of another slight, because he says, "Ah, oh, next you'll want to braid my hair." And Viz- and, and Danny says, "Well, we we you have won no victories." You don't deserve a braid. <laughs> you don't get braids because you haven't won any victories. And so Viserys starts beating on her, and Danny shocks him by 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 fighting back. She she I think she hits him with a belt or something, and
1: um,
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of really startles him out of his torpor. Go, Danny. Hmm.
1: Some self confidence here.
0: Yeah. So we cut to Castle Black. John and Sam are talking about their love lives, or or lack thereof, rather, because neither of them have ever actually been with a woman. <laughs> yep. And John talks about an incident where he almost did uh, have sex with Roz, actually, the, uh, the, the prostitute character who we've seen earlier in the series, but decided not to because he was afraid that he would father a bastard. And... Yeah. I think this is, this is I think this is something that that is part of John's character in the books so that he's kind of reluctant to engage in in intimate relations because he is worried about bringing another bastard into the world and he doesn't want to inflict that life on another on another human yeah. being and it's it's all very kind and, of noble and and, uh, and disgustingly self mm. uh, self sacrificial self sacrificial yeah
1: no, it's it's especially because he realizes that if he had a bastard, it would they would grow up in a worse situation than mm. what he did because he was apparently the bastard of like mm.
0: Lord of Winterfell. The acknowledged bastard of, so. a, of a powerful lord. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a yeah. fair enough problem. But like, learn to pull out, John Come on. <laughs> that's one of my favourite jokes actually is like seeing someone with a large number of kids and being like, "Geez, learn to pull out every once in a while
2: pull
1: out, <laughs> come on
0: <laughs> so at that point Sir Alisa comes into the room and uh, gives them a sort of serious talking to about the coming winter and just a, a point of clarification I'm 90% sure that Sir Alisa commits to uh, c- rather confesses to committing cannibalism Cause yes. he talks about how they had to eat the horses and then kind of heavily alludes to that that wasn't the only thing that they had Anything. to eat. Yeah. So Sir Alisa Cannibal confirmed question mark? Yes. Mm. He <laughs> so, didn't deny it. Yeah. So we cut back to Vaistothrak at this point, and Danny is fretting about uh what happened with Viserys. And Jora sort of gives Danny a bit of a reality check of her own when he talks that says that the commoners don't care who the king is, and they, yeah. they have a they have a very they have a bit of very sort of candid moment where Danny says, "Well, maybe that's true, but I still want to go home." So yeah, yeah, and we actually there's this great quote from Jora in that scene where he says the common people pray for rain health and a summer that never ends they don't care what games the high lords play so yeah it's, it's a very very poignant quote i think especially for danny yeah it uh, informs it's... a lot of her character later on
1: and that's how she like and she understands that in her mm. later actions i i feel mm.
0: so we cut back to king's landing uh, the 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 tournament celebrating Ned's appointment his hand has arrived, and has has started and Littlefinger is is in the in the stands watching and so are the Stark girls and Li- Littlefinger introduces himself to the Stark girls, sort of yeah because in-
1: they've never actually met before I don't think
0: no no and um, I think we also kind of see the the first hints at Littlefinger's uh, obsession with cat translating into an obsession with Sansa. <laughs>
1: cuz they, they they look kind of the same that's mm. good enough right
0: <laughs> and i think i think it's talked about in the books how how sansa is supposed to be like even prettier than cat was when she was young so yeah i feel like yeah at least commit to um... a
1: crush little finger
0: <laughs> mm. well i mean he committed to being c- crushing on cat 15 years so I, I don't know i don't know that i don't know that commitment's that's a true. problem i think it's just obsession so this is another moment where i noticed that uh aiden gillen's mouth wasn't moving enough for his work, dialogue to be as loud as it was like i realize that when they shoot outdoor scenes like that they often have to redub over dialogue in uh recording booths later yeah. on but it's it's just like very obvious in this in this moment normally it's a lot it's a lot more a lot less subtle so yeah, well yeah, I'm just like I said, I'm just nitpicking. They
1: hadn't realised that they had a budget at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's probably a that's probably a good a good a good explanation. So the the tournament starts, and uh, the mountain, Sir Gregor Clegane and Sir Hugh of the Vale are the first jousting match of the day, and I think this is the first time we see the mountain, yep. who who is yeah enormous like they call him Cuz we've
1: met the hound but we yeah. haven't met the
0: mountain. They call him the mountain that rides. Mm. And it's it's an accurate description I would say. And it's funny cuz um, that horse though. Yeah, yeah, that that poor horse. <laughs> they they change actors for the mountain between season 3 and 4 I think. And if I yes. remember correctly the Second like the first guy who played him was like seven foot something but the second guy that played him was closer to like eight feet so it's I'm surprised they were able to upgrade in that instance
1: yeah just like move from different person but better mm.
0: so yes the the mountain and Sir Hugh are the first joust of the day and when they pass at each other the mountain Kills Sir Hugh like a shard of his lance embeds itself in his throat and he dies right there on the field in front of everybody. Mm. Which and the, the the timing of which kind of uh, gets questioned later on in the series. As like, well, Sir Hugh was was the closest to John Arryn that is still in King's Landing and now he's dead. So you know, anybody else think this Here is we suspicious? Are. <laughs> suspicious? And so, also at this point, Littlefinger tells the story of what happened to the Hound's face, why it's all burnt. Specifically, that that the mountain did it. That he, um mm. yeah, that the that, that uh, the mountain came on the Hound, uh, playing with one of the mountain's toys when they were children, and just just pushed him in the fire and held him there. So it's yep. rather horrific, actually.
1: I mean, it's it sets the tone well. I feel mm, it definitely does <laughs> for the rest of the, for the level of violence that we're going to experience. Mm.
0: <laughs> so in the castle, Cersei comes to visit Ned, and they have a bit of a chat about what happened in Derry. And I, the, Cersei is kind of she's kind of being a bit sort of reconciliatory at this point. Like she's trying to kind of I think trying to mend the bridge a wee bit. I don't think I don't think she's trying to do it as like a, yeah. a genuine attempt to connect with Ned. I think she's just trying to get some of the heat off her and Jamie. Yep. Yeah.
1: And they because like they're already under well not suspicion but they're already nervous about Bran as well. so...
2: Hmm.
0: And they have this exchange. Uh, your brother was trained to lead, and you were trained to follow. I was also trained to kill my enemies, Your Grace, as was I. So it's it's yeah. I, I don't know what that means, but it Goodness. sounds cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Sounds cool. it sounds very threatening mm. still as you say I'm not sure what it actually means. Mm.
0: So we cut to the inn at the crossroads like that's not the description of it that's like it's its actual name, the crossroads inn and uh yep. Tyrion arrives at the inn on his way south but uh, Kat and Roderick Cassell happen to be there also on their way back north. And we have one of my favourite scenes in this in this season, at least, where, where Tyrion comes in and, and Roderick and Cat try to make themselves scare, scarce, but Tyrion recognises them, and so Cat kind of mm-hmm. gets to her feet and says, "Well, I was I was very young when last I stayed in this inn," and starts pointing out all the um all the, uh, the the assembled soldiers who come from various Riverlands houses, all of whom are loyal to Cat's to father, Lord Tully, so that you've got some, some soldiers from yep. House Wint and House Bracken and House Frey. And Tyrion's like, well, all right, very impressive that, that there are all these soldiers that work for your dad here, but I don't get why you're pointing this out. And so Cat says, In the name of the good lords you serve and our beloved King Robert, I command you to seize this man. Who stole into my home and attempted to murder my son? Seize him and b- bring him to Winterfell, where he can await the king's justice. And it's, it's such a like a cool scene and a cool moment for Catelyn. Translated almost awful literally,
1: moment for like.
0: Translated almost literally the plot. The I mean, yeah. yeah, it does. It does kind of kick off, kick off the uh, the Stark Lannister conflict, as we will see in the next episode. But it is, it's a, it's a kick-ass scene and there's a it is it is very good and there's a great um, great line from the books if I recall Uh, Kat didn't know what was more satisfying the sound of the drawn swords or the look of stunned disbelief on Tyrion Lannister's face
2: Mm.
0: (laughs) and so that that episode that little bit marks the end of the episode and we roll credits there we go. Yeah. So yeah, we, we have some plot progression. Hmm. Got some some big developments happening. Not so much on the on the 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 mystical side, but certainly very much on the political side. So, and those those definitely really come to a head uh, in the next couple of episodes. So, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Waiting for Winter podcast. Um. Be more consistent with your accents